0: listening to drinking socially the official untapped podcast your weekly look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer i'm kyle and i'm tim
1: drinking socially is released every wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts i will uh toast that for sure that's that's a nice lead-in pun yes i uh, like it Let's see what we've got this week. Yes, indeed. So, uh, our first beer, we're actually, I, I brought in a couple of beers for this week's show. I tend to think it's fun to, uh, to do that. And the second one I really wanted to share with you. Uh, but first up here, we're actually doing a callback to way, way, way back to episode 13 of the show. Um, in that episode, we discussed an article about a British brewery that was gathering surplus bread and replacing one third of the barley that they used in their brewing process with that surplus bread. Um, they were also donating their profits to charities to help them um, end food hunger. Uh, and at the time when we read that article, which that was you know, quite a while ago, distribution had just expanded to New York City. So that said, our good friend Paul, uh, he's over on Instagram at beerswithshim, uh, he got his hands on it and graciously sent us a couple of cans. So the first beer we have up here is an American pale ale from Toast Ale. It is, as I just said, an American pale ale. It is five percent ABV. The U.S. Um, brewing is actually contract brewed through Captain Lawrence Brewing Company, uh, which is based out of Elmsford, New York. Okay, I'm not familiar with with that Captain that, Lawrence. Yeah, <laughs> with with the with Captain. Yes,
0: Captain Lawrence is a pretty well known um, brewery on the East Coast. I don't. They, do they do a lot of contracts like this, or is this kind of uh, a new venture for them? Do you
1: know? I, that I can't say for mm-hmm. sure. But I've heard of Captain Lawrence, and I've seen it around, and it's one of those fairly, I believe it's a fairly sought-after brand that is not out here on the West Coast for us. Mm -hmm. Um, The UK version of this is actually a collaboration with uh, Essex Street Brewery. So if you're over there uh, across the pond and you have this Toast Ale, then that's where you're getting it from. It's described on Toast Ale's website as having a golden smooth finish with a hint of citrus and caramel. Um, All profits, like I said, go to charity to help end food waste, which is something that I think you and I are both very adamant about uh, trying to do in our beer industry, which obviously has quite a bit of waste. And, of course, I want to say thank you so much, Paul, for sending this over. Um, if you want to follow Paul on his awesome drinking adventures and see some of his great beardography, we actually talked about him on our design
0: episode as well. Yeah. It's, uh, now that it's kind of in the winter season, there's a lot of them that have snow and, and kind of have a, a winter vibe to them. This one would look pretty good. I think in the snow it's, lost in there, it, it would, it's got, uh, it just says toast on the front. It looks like it's been stamped on there. Um and it is a fully wrapped like white can uh, you know what it reminds me of way way back in gosh twenty twelve or twenty eleven there was this app called stamped uh almost like untapped spelled very similarly, but what you would do is to quote unquote check in to a thing to say that you liked it, and you kind of had your profile and things like that, but it's got that it's got that same sort of like stamped look with the the white and the blue uh. You know, Web web 2.5.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I can see that. Uh, it does say also on the
1: side that there is a slice of uh, fresh bread in each 12-ounce can. So that's probably the rough calculation there.
0: And all, uh, I was going to say, am I supposed to shake this first and then try and <laughs> may, may settle at the bottom? Make sure to uh, swirl your toast.
1: Yes. And uh, all profits here, they say, do go to charity feedback to end food waste.
0: And like you said, obviously, that's, that's going to be a cause that you and I are... Pretty passionate about mm-hmm. and anything that we can do to help further that, um, I'm all I'm all for. I've also really enjoyed uh, all the folks who are tagging us on yes. Untapped, uh, checking into the Resilience IPA and just saying like, "Hey, you know, uh, Kyle and Tim turned me onto this, and I, I was able to find it." So. Keep doing that. Uh, if you check into Toast, if you check into any beer, we always love seeing the tags on Untapped. I second that for sure.
1: It's been really cool seeing all those check-ins. Now, on the side of the can, it also says here that it is uh, crafted from fresh surplus bread, malted barley, and only the finest Centennial,
0: Cascade, and Chinook hops. Golden with a smooth finish and a hint of caramel and citrus. Mm. Caramel, caramel. Yeah, Carmel is the city. Yes. I, know, I know that much, but... I think it's probably a West Coast, East Coast caramel, you know, caramel. Yeah, yeah, I get. It. Yeah, and that. Yeah. yeah,
1: all right, let's give this a shot.
0: That those hops come out strong. It is listed as an American pale ale, um, so I I ex- kind of expect that. You know, right when you crack open the can, you just get a room full of hops. A nice sort of like light golden color. Yep. Uh, completely, completely clear. Nice, nice, rocky head. At least you know pouring from the can. This is a, a, I guess you know one that you could enjoy straight from the can. Uh, seeing as it's twelve ounces, but um, twelve ounces, five percent. I mean that smell is just. I don't get toast from it. Obviously, it is, <laughs> it is. It is. It is like straight up just hops. Um, and that's a wonderful smell. It's a good combo, I think, of of hops. It's very crisp on the uh, the
1: flavor profile there. It it's. Um, Super refreshing. It doesn't linger too much. You're you're hit with some hops up front. And I get a little bit of that kind of like the sweet caramel sort of thing, a little bit on the back end. Um some citrus notes for sure. And it's it the bitterness, it it fades out pretty fast. And Super it fast. Of, it leads, um, it leaves a a little bit of a lingering in there, but not like a palate wrecking IPA might do or
0: something along those lines. So it's it's pretty easy drinking, it seems, at least upon first couple of sips. It is really easy drinking. I think I'm I'm trying to ascertain whether that is because this is on the the maltier side of a pale, or if this is just you know not a an overly bittered, uh, beer that is mostly uh, I guess you know added in the boil and and not not uh, dry hopped or anything like that. It's just straight up like you're getting the pale American style. Uh, beer with this one that is uh, super, like you said, really easy drinking and not overwhelming either. I think I the smell for sure made me think like, boy, this is going to be kind of a uh, a punch in the face, like almost uh more like a session because a pale ale can lean either way, right? You can go more session IPA where it's kind of like, oh man, this is overly bitter but kind of thin on on the mouthfeel, but like this is. It's very it feels feels very well balanced and super if you didn't tell me
1: orange if it didn't say I guess on the side of the can that it was brewed with surplus bread I would probably never have any idea it it does seem like it has a little bit of that maltier character um, but not in a way that it's kind of competing with the hops again I feel like it's really well balanced I can't I can't say that enough because it's just it, it goes down smooth it's not overwhelming it has that hop character that you're looking for as a couple of hop heads.
0: It, well, and I think the bitterness kind of, it lingers and the this, this citrusy-ness, if you would, of, of I don't think that's a flavor profile tag, but citrusy and I think citrus are, citrusy-ness is not, Uh, but we it, it starts to kind of like build on itself and you get a little bit more of that as, as you continually kind of coat your palate with it over and over again. This is one of those where like, I think going back to one of our previous episodes, I think two episodes ago, we were talking about tasters and the fact that like you can't really fully experience a beer without either a full pour. I think 12 ounces of this probably does this beer justice because after two or three sips of this, I wasn't I was getting a lot of balance. Like it's just completely and maybe it was our lunch, but like it's it is not a huge punch in your face, but. As you continually try this over and over again, it, the the flavors do start to build and the subtleties that uh, you may have tasted from the first sip are pronounced even more so uh, the more that you have it. And it's also really cool to have
1: something that seems so very drinkable and tasty and something that I would definitely go back to. You know, we have a couple of cans, but this is something that I would definitely get a you know, a six or a a case or something just to have around for easy drinking. And the fact that the profits from it go to help charity in the same, in the same vein as um, resilience, resilience was nothing super special. It wasn't your latest hazy craze. It was just a good old standard IPA. And it was really cool to have something that was so good and kind of took us back to the heyday of IPAs that also had such a very good social impact to it in terms of the charity side. So, To have something, again, that is really easy drinking, something that I would definitely stock as a fridge beer uh, and have it also be helping to end, you know, food waste and
0: all the other good things that they're doing. I think that's spectacular. I'm sure uh, the charity feedback appreciates all of your feedback about this beer. I know I do. Um, So thanks, Paul. Uh, we really, really appreciate you sending this one out. If we have some time, we'll be getting into our
1: second beer a little later in the show. But for now, have any of you had a Toast Ale uh, or any of their beers? They actually have three variants available in the U.S. They have a craft Lager, an American Pale Ale, and they also have an Indian Pale Ale as well. So if you've had any of these and you want to let us know what you thought, we'd love to hear it. Hit us up on Twitter. We are uh, twitter.com slash podcast. Uh, You can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash drinking socially or on Instagram where we are drinking socially. If you didn't catch our last episode, uh, we did change up our social accounts a little bit. Um, Links are in the show notes as they always are, but we wanted to switch things up so that we have a little more visibility on our audience and can more easily interact with you as opposed to our main feed, which gets a little crowded here and there. So be sure to uh, check
0: those out. You can also follow us on Untapped. I'm at Kyle Roderick on untapped and i am tim a t-i-m-m-3-h and i guess they could toast our toast check-ins yeah make that happen people <laughs> all right let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's feature beer style here's tim with more so I was uh, going through picking
1: out news articles for the show, and I came across an article uh, that was on VinePair that I thought was pretty interesting. And it kind of got me thinking um, about a specific style that they were writing up, and I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper in that. So starting off with a little bit from the article here. Uh, in November 2018, Goose Island Brewery threw a curveball. In the anticipated release of its annual Bourbon County brand series, it replaced one variant with Bourbon County brand wheat wine. It was the first time the series included something other than a stout since 2013. The risk paid off. Bourbon County brand wheat wine was a critically acclaimed favorite of this year's lineup, and it actually is the top-ranked wheat wine beer on Untappd. So we got a shout-out on Vine Pair there, which was pretty cool. That is cool. After reading this, it got me kind of wondering, what exactly is a wheat wine? I know when we did some of our um, uh, that's that's
0: Will Wheatwine. I thought <laughs> he's, he's, he has a, an untapped profile, and um, no, uh, is that is that not no? Okay, wrong wrong one. Yeah, okay, uh, but that was I like that. That was good. I it's it's not a crusher, but uh, you know. <laughs> um. Anyway. So it, it got me wondering
1: what a wheat wine is, because I know when we've done our style updates in the past um, for the style guidelines on untapped, we've added wheat wine. And uh, it was one of those categories I was like, OK, well, it seems to be something that's out there, but I've never had it. and I've never really read about it. So it kind of got me curious. and I wanted to dive in a little bit more. So the accepted story of wheat wine's emergence begins in California in the mid 1980s. And it's actually all because of a simple mistake. Now, if you're told wheat wine, what what do you th- think like what what do you think it could
0: be i would probably go like high gravity high abv um something that is maybe barrel aged um and something that i likely wouldn't choose on a menu if i saw it uh something that's probably going to be more uh, along the lines again like the name implies more on the wine spectrum and and is something that um is going to be higher gravity well, you, you've got the high gravity part right. So, Phil Moeller
1: and a friend, they actually got together to brew a batch of a barley wine. Now, you can see some connection here. Okay. In the process of adding the grain, a miscalculation or slip-up actually occurred and too much wheat went in. So, like any good You, home- you
0: got some wheat in my barley. I got some <laughs> barley in your wheat.
1: <laughs> so, like any good home brewer, the two kept going and they were just determined to see kind of like, what would this error lead to? Huh. That sort of experimentation like, oh well, something
0: happened. I guess we should just keep going and find out what we get. Makes me think that it's like you take a, a Berliner vice and, and just like let it get real old, maybe. See what happens. And just see what happens. I tend, like,
1: when I've done homebrews, I one of the things that I like to do is what interesting things can I throw in. Cause I honestly I'm I'm still amateur and I order pre designated kits and it has like step by step instructions. So I'm not gonna screw it up. But at one point or another, I'll be like, okay, well, what happens if I throw some orange zest in here or what if I dry hop this? So, I, Right, during this sort of, phase or this amount. Of, yeah, yeah, that experimentation. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's calculated. This, on the other hand, happy accident. Okay. Okay. For For a whole style. So they let it ferment with a mixture of excitement and trepidation, and then they poured a glass and drank. It was that precise moment they realized that they had mistakenly made something worthy. So in 1987, Phil Muller became the first brewmaster for the newly opened Rubicon Brewery in Sacramento, California. And in the fall of 1988, the cooling air likely brought thoughts of that brewing mistake and the warming, lovely brew that resulted. Muller decided that it was time to bring the secret seductress to the rest of the world. The beer was rich, deep, and complex, yet it hid its intentions well with a slightly lighter mouthfeel and only whispered notes of alcohol. Rubicon's winter wheat wine was actually the first commercial example of the wheat wine style.
0: Interesting. So kind of born in California.
1: Yeah. Or at least uh, created. Yeah, it was It was kind of created here, first commercially available through a brewery from here. It's really interesting. It was very popular as a tap release at the brewery throughout the 1990s. Uh, the 2000s actually brought further recognition in the form of uh, competition medals. It won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival in tw- 2006 and would go on to win silver in 2009. And then in 2008, it was recognized at the World Beer Cup, uh, with a gold medal. So you could see as time went on, it kind of became a far more accepted thing. Mm-hmm. Even as late as 2016, it continued to be a contender when a two, uh, 2007 vintage actually won bronze in the aged beer category, which I didn't know they had that. It's, hey, I'm going to find this thing on my shelf that I held on for, to for 15 years <laughs> entering the competition. I guess could
0: anybody enter
1: a beer at that point?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, boy. I. That sounds like you're in a. I don't know. Do you, can you taste it before you submit it? Like how do, how does that work? Yeah. I would be. <laughs> you gotta have two, that's right? It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, Even
1: then, who knows? Yeah, that's uh, funny. Mm-mm. Um. So the winter wheat wine it actually remained the quintessential example of the style until the brewery closed its doors in 2017, which is sad news to hear. Uh, Though the original wheat wine is sadly no longer available, it did inspire other breweries to give the style a try, and many of these are actually still available today. Marin Brewing was directly inspired by a sampling of Rubicon's winter wheat wine and tinkered around with the style until they released Star Brew, a triple wheat ale, in 1994. Interesting. So the triple wheat ale, instead of calling it a wheat wine, that's a it's one of those things where, like, you kind of start mixing and matching uh, style terms just, until you
0: feel like you got it. I mean, honestly, making stuff up is is how we all got here to, to having the styles that we have today. Yes. And, and go with it. Look man. at look at the
1: brute and yeah. the yep. hazy. Yep. Yep. Ah, uh, Two Brothers Brewing has been making their version Bear Tree as a seasonal since two thousand, while Smutty Nose Brewing got into the act with their own seasonal winter wheat ale in two thousand five. So it's really interesting to see. This is another one of those styles that it does not have that long of a history, and it's kind of cool. Like with a lot of um, beers, that something happened that wasn't necessarily expected, and it just morphed into a completely new style. Similar to what you were saying, you know, always experimenting and just kind of things that you
0: might just put a random name on instantly are like the next hot thing. Right. Right. Or you add fruit at, at a certain point or you, you know, it, just trying to kind of push the envelope a bit to see what sticks. And, um, I, I, I probably make this parallel far too often. I know, but it is a, a culinary art if you would. And so like experimenting and research and development is all a part of that process. So, I, I like, though, the the idea that a happy accident has turned into this becoming sort of like easy, either a seasonal availability thing for other brewers or something that um, has started to expand outside of California, which is I, I love that it kind of, you know, had its its birthplace here and, and then has moved. Yeah,
1: and that's it's that's actually really nice. Um, and if you go to um, Untappd, you actually look at the top rate of wheat wines here. The Bourbon County brand wheat wine is actually at the top. Um, and if you scroll down, there are a few things in here. There's at least three or four entries in here that are actually from the brewery down in Placentia. Okay. Yeah. Um. I've I've seen this white chocolate beer around. I've never had it, but it's interesting to see that it is considered a wheat wine, um, as well as white mocha. Um. A couple other things. Also, you've got um. Jackie O's is on here. Ren House, Perennial, or, or yeah, Perennial Artisan Ales. So there's quite a few um, around the country, Three Floyds is on here as well, that are um, all kind of doing their their own take on the style. Yeah, and ending up on our, our top top beer list for, for that particular style. And there, to your point, by the way, in the beginning, your comment about high gravity. I mean, if you scroll through here, there's nothing less than 10, um, with some of them being up at like 16 or
0: 17%. Now, surprisingly... Uh, on my own list of beers that I've had in this style, what? they're all actually lower than 10% ABV. Wait, have you had a wheat wine? I have had two what? wheat wines. So one of them uh, was from Hangar 24, which is also, you know, uh, Inland Empire. Um, they had their local fields series with Polycott. Uh, this was considered a wheat wine. Um, it is a wheat beer. Brewed with hundreds of pounds of organic apricots or apricots, depending on how you want to say that. Potato, grown, potato. Grown in Southern California's high desert. Well, how about
1: that? I stand, I was going to say, I, have, I can't say that I've ever had a wheat wine and look at that. Untapped comes to the rescue. Uh, Super Tramp from Dust Bowl, which it was something that you brought back.
0: Yes. So we tried this, I believe, on the show in a Crowler or had it before the show even existed. Honestly, I I can't remember. But this one is an 8.4% ABV. Uh, wheat wine, strawberry infused wheat wine, fruity aroma, strawberry flavor. They say dangerously delicious. And so much so that uh, my own flesh and blood brother is the top three on the loyal drinkers category <laughs> on this page here uh, because he does live nearby. And so this was, this is one of his favorite beers that Dust Bowl Brewing makes. That's awesome. Uh, if you're ever going up the 99 stop in Turtlock Dust Bowl, you can see it from the freeway. Uh, a great place to just kind of stop off and and uh, grab a brew. All right, so as of today, uh, on the App Store, the iOS App Store, and Google Play for Android, we have a new update to the Untapped app version 3.4.0. And it's got, of course, a number of improvements and fixes to some bugs that folks may have been seeing on Untapped. In the improvements category, we've got a brand new filter, a completely redesigned filter. If you go to your profile and tap either your beer count at the top or you scroll down and tap the beers item, you'll be taken to your beer view where we list the current number of beers that you have checked into, as well as if you tap the filter button next to the search bar, you'll be presented with a brand new filter for those beers. I think the most important inclusion here on this screen is the ability to filter by rating. Uh, We heard you that you wanted to be able to find those beers that you had either never rated before uh, or your top beer, whatever you rated a 5.0. You can now do that from that screen. You can also select more than one rating at a time, and display all of those beers at once. So hopefully that's a a very welcome improvement to your beer searching. Uh, Our plan going forward is to carry that over to other parts of the app. So if you have any feedback on that particular feature, we would love to hear it. We also completely redesigned the verified venue layouts. So these are our venues that you'll see on the map um, or on our home screen that have the little yellow check next to them. These pages have been completely redesigned to focus the verified venue experience around checking in. There will be a new green button on those screens that says, are you here? So if you're around those venues, you can tap that button and it'll bring up a list either... If you're at a verified venue for their menu, or you can do that the same on an unverified venue for the check-in here button, it'll pull up a list of the beers that have either been recently checked into or that are on their menu. You can select one and then check in there. It's very handy. I like that feature a lot, um, especially if you're out enjoying some beers and you you don't
1: want to have to go through the process of searching or adding the location. You can just automatically hit the
0: check in there, and we'll pre-fill. The location on your check in detail, which is really handy. Also on your profile, if you're looking through your badges, trying to see, you know, which badges you've earned, whether or not your friends have earned those badges as well, you've seen that we display the friends that have earned that current level of the badge on that badge page. Now, if you hit the show more button, you'll see a full list of all of the friends that have earned that particular level for that badge. So it's a minor enhancement to a feature that we had already included in the app where we included just the avatar, but now you can link directly to those friends profiles. One of the smaller things I think that may not get noticed by folks with newer devices, but scanning on the untapped app got a lot better in the last few months. Oh, yeah, it has. It's so much faster
1: with the latest um, or with the, the previous update, I believe it was, yeah. where we've we made changes to that. That, was, that made scanning so much better.
0: It did for most users, and for some it didn't. Oh. There were a few issues with Uh, focusing and updating the screen on some older Android devices. So we've made a feature available by tapping the scan button on the Discover screen to bring up the scanning options. Here, you can either set a default for the scanning option if you want it to default to either NFC or if you want it to default to the barcode scanner. And you can activate what we call the legacy scanner. So this would be the older version of the scanner inside of the untapped app that if you're having issues scanning with this new quicker scanner that's kind of built more for newer devices, I recommend trying the legacy scanner, seeing if that improves your experience at all. And if it does, you can set that as the default. We also included a number of bug fixes, including things like saving your profile image, Saving the birthday on your profile. Things that uh, were impacting the experience on Untapped that hopefully we have squashed. But if you do find any bugs, be sure to report them over to us. You can go to help.untapped.com or you can send in your feedback to feedback at untapped.com. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to grab that update. It is available
1: today, which is um, recording uh, the day we are recording, so that will be as of January 23rd. So by the time you hear this, hopefully you're already updated. If you haven't, please go do that. Uh, always oh, nice to have the latest and greatest. It's time again for Homebrew Untapped with our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers Podcast. Every other week, John joins us to talk about homebrewing, offering up interesting insights, conversation about homebrewing, and, you know, a few tips and tricks here and there.
2: Here's John with more. Hey, everyone. John here from the Four Brewers Podcast, and I'm back for another installment of Homebrew Untapped. This week, in celebration of his recently announced retirement from the Brewers Association, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of the most important and well-known figures in the American craft beer and homebrewing scene, Mr. Charlie Papazian. Charlie Papazian is basically the father of American homebrewing as we know it today. His book, The Complete Joy of Homebrewing, is no doubt one of the most well-known books on the hobby of homebrewing, and I'd wager that almost every homebrewer has owned a copy at one point or another. His famous slogan, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew, is both simple and genius, and is something I've thought to myself many times when a brew day or fermentation doesn't seem to be going quite right. Ask any professional brewer in the industry if Charlie has affected them in any way as a brewer, and I guarantee the response will be a resounding yes. Not only is Charlie known for homebrewing, he also began the Great American Beer Festival all the way back in 1982. After visiting England for the Great British Beer Festival, Charlie thought America needed their own festival to showcase the great beers that were being brewed by American breweries. The first festival only had a handful of breweries in attendance simply due to the fact that there weren't really many breweries around in 1982, but that first festival would turn into the biggest beer festival in America with hundreds of breweries and thousands of beer fans in attendance. Charlie Papazian was also president of the Brewers Association from 1979 to 2016. If you've ever watched any of the Great American Beer Festival award ceremonies, Charlie is the person who would shake hands and in later years, fist bump, every brewer who walked on stage to accept their medal. It goes without saying, but Charlie Papazian is a very important figure in the beer industry. His influence and contribution to the beer scene is immeasurable, and we owe a debt of gratitude for everything he's done to help make what the modern craft and independent brewing scene in America is today. So thanks to Charlie for everything he's done for all of us beer nerds over the years. And may we all never forget, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Until next time, this has been Homebrew Untapped. You can catch more
1: from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Want to show off your love of Untapped? I sure do. Mm, check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST. At checkout, you'll get 20% off all orders. Again, that's store.untapped.com, coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off.
1: All right, now that we've enjoyed this uh, Toast Pale Ale, I thought it would be cool to crack open the second beer that I brought in today. Again, another shout-out to Paul. He sent this one along with the toast, so this is pretty cool here. Um, It's going to be Under the Wire, which is actually a collaboration between Two Roads Brewing and Aslan Beer Company. I know you're a big fan of Aslan Beer and their kind of wacky Instagram beer pics.
0: Yeah, very much a, like... uh wish I could have it all the time sort of thing. Um, uh, L Trax is the one who does their photography, I believe. And, and she does a wonderful job at making those beers look good. So this
1: particular collaboration, it's brewed and canned by two roads in Stratford, Connecticut. Uh, it's got a really rad can. It's kind of like got that, like, um cotton candy sunset gradient with some bird with a bird sitting on some wires it
0: reminds me a lot of that can that highland park put out a while back with the sunset mm, on the back mm-hmm. um, it was more of a like a you know southern california cloudy slash the uh, you know warm sun gradient going on but it still had the birds on on top of the uh the power I think it was lines. one of those,
1: the cloud something yeah okay yeah. i remember of, of what those. you're talking about yeah yep yeah. Um so this one, it is uh listed on the can here as an hazy India pale ale. Getting back to our hazy, uh, we obviously categorize that as a, an IPA New England. Uh five point five percent ABV. Uh it is actually uh wait any, wait 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 five point five? Yeah, it's a five point five ABV hazy, hazy. IPA.
0: Okay. All right. So
1: getting a little getting a little sessionable. Yeah. I like it. It's brewed with Hallertau Blanc and Mandarina Hops. So you got a couple of interesting ones there that I've never heard of. Hmm. Um, it's got notes of white wine grapes, tangerine, elderflower, and a light earthiness. I'm kind of excited to check this one out.
0: I like the idea of a light earthiness, like a, like a small earth, <laughs> like, a, like, a small, like a tiny earth. Earth light. Or, yeah, earth light. Now I, I'm pretty sure I've had a an IPA with uh, Hallertow Tow Blanc and Mandarina before, but couldn't tell you off the top of my head uh, the flavors to expect here with this. but'm I'm gonna I'm give it a smell. I mean, obviously more way more IPAE than uh, hot, you know hop forward than the toast that we had earlier, which is to be expected, also being the hazy New England, it's got a bit more of that citrus
1: juicy um aroma going on than just the you know exp- what you'd expect kind of the the hoppy citrus versus like this is more of the the fruity sort of uh aroma yeah i mean just straight up juice has a really nice light orange kind of golden orange color cannot see through um a little bit a uh, little little bit of a nice head there Ooh, the bitterness on this is more in the back wow yeah i feel it hit after the first
0: like after the first second or so for New England it is way more palate wrecking than i would have ever expected um i expect kind of a a subtle mildness to a lot of new englands yeah um that is is probably like my west coast bias showing a bit where i'm like all i want this to do is taste like you left the, you know orange juice out for a little too long and you lost a lot of the bitterness and it just it, you know is <laughs> just kind of like foamy and it does have that orange
1: it does have that orange rind sort of thing going on where it's like it's super citrusy but also super bitter um unlike the unlike the super juice um citrus fruit stone fruit tropical thing that you typically come to expect from say like a a new england style ipa to your point yeah it's uh, a lot more bitter than i had anticipated it has it definitely has the citrus up front uh but again like it's still like if you've ever bitten into an orange rind, like that's kind of what I'm getting.
0: Well, and a tangerine, I think is on a whole separate orange spectrum than you would expect from like a navel orange or uh, any of any any other sort of like juiced type orange. Tangerines, for me, always meant like eating them by hand and mm. opening them, opening them up, and and kind of getting a little bit. It's it's more of a a pulpy texture a tangerine can be. Um, and it reminds me a lot of, you know, farm going, going out to a farm and be on a ranch and stuff. So, uh, that's probably a personal, you know, like California <laughs> memory that is way more tied into how fresh produce can be and literally living in a place called Orange County where the, the oranges, the, the streets are paved with oranges basically. <laughs> and we juice them for you and then ship them out and, and all that, all that road juice ends up on the shelves. But this is uh this is really, really good. I'm still surprised that this is five point five percent. I know. That's that's kind of wild. It it's also a nice change to
1: have um have a an hazy IPA that is leaning a bit more to the leaning a bit more into the hop bitterness and a little bit less into the juice, which is kind of like I said, it's it's a nice change. And I feel like I've been doing that a bit more in general just leaning a little bit away from that, trying to get back into the actual IPA world. Uh just your straight up IPA. But overall this is this is really enjoyable. Um and it it is leaving it's leaving quite a bit of bitter on the back, which
0: we'll see how that how that handles as we keep going. I'm gonna have to get out to Two Roads eventually. I've seen all the photos that Paul's posted at Two Roads and it looks like a really cool place. They seem to have some some really cool series uh and that, that space just looks really cool. So get your hands on this one, people. This is, this is great. This is really good. Now that we've opened this beer, let's move on and take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Let's go all the way over to the other side of the country where the team that I guess we need to rep here coming up to the Super Bowl. Is, uh, is, is is la based right yes indeed the first article here comes from NBC
1: Los which is our local news out here if the Rams win the Super Bowl Bud Light promises free beer for la okay how do, how are they going to manage that is it uh, it's a good question um it does talk about how uh, later on in the article but I'll jump ahead to that um, they made the same they actually made the same promise uh, last year uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. The beer company, they actually held up the promise after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, delivering around 3,800 cans to their Super Bowl parade. Uh, They handed them out at the actual Super Bowl parade. That makes sense. So this article more specifically, the Los Angeles Rams could walk away with more than a trophy if they win the Super Bowl uh, thanks to Bud Light. That's because Amheuser-Busch recently promised to give out free beer to this year's winner i.e. the city that wins the Super Bowl. So on Sunday, two hard-fought games ended in the Rams claiming the NFC title while the
0: New England Patriots won the AFC championship for the third straight year. Well, and people tune into this podcast for their sports scores. So unfortunately, they get to you one week late. Uh, We apologize in advance for that, but that's just... That's that's how things go.
1: At least it's coming up before the Super Bowl. That'd that's, be really that's, awkward. That's
0: true. That's true. So
1: the two teams are going to square off February 2nd in Super Bowl. What is it? 33. Uh, yeah. Yeah. always got to take a second to figure out those roman numerals (laughs) a win against the patriots could mean the second super bowl victory in the history of the rams franchise which would also be their first since coming to la that'd be pretty huge being that they don't even have their own stadium here yet that's still being built this promise by bud light however could be even more cause for the city to celebrate the return of the rams from the big game and to the city yeah i mean it's it's gonna be a
0: a party either way, right? I, I mean, free beer is free beer, <laughs> free advertising is free beer. That's bad. pretty much, uh, which is you know what, that's that's fine. I I know that Bud Light and, and Bud, it in general becomes one of those things that's synonymous with the NFL. Uh, they did like their whole uh, branded can series where you could get your team and rep your team on your can. So, uh, those two brands have uh, have synergies beyond anything that I could imagine, I'm sure. So I'm – this is cool. I just want to – I would love to have a hometown team win the Super Bowl. I think that that's kind of what it comes down to for me.
1: Yeah, that is very true. So East Coast uh, listeners, we apologize. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we got we to gotta rep the home team. <laughs> so speaking of Bud Light, we're going to lead – just because I thought we could just line these two up and get them out of the way uh, – Leading into this next article from Esquire.com, Bud Light is the first big beer to have massive nutrition labels. I don't know if you saw this. It's been kind of going around the socials. I have been seeing the commercials. Um, Bud Light is bona fide big beer. In fact, it's the biggest beer. So it makes sense that Bud Light would be the first to shout about its new policy of labeling Bud Light boxes with nutrition and ingredient labels as a good thing. The nutrition labels are impossible to miss. Bold, black and white. Massive. If you take a look at the picture in this article, you will see what we are talking about, but you cannot miss that. They're the same type of labels you see regularly in other food categories, which makes you wonder, why haven't beer brands been doing this all along? Well, for one, they just don't have to. Alcoholic beverages in the U.S. are regulated by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, which we learned uh, more about last episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the agency has never required them. And more importantly, because beer drinkers haven't traditionally been concerned with how a can measures up to their daily food and drink intake. They just want
0: a beer. And I probably didn't rely on them when I was like actually very, very closely monitoring slash tracking my nutrition that that was incoming into my body. I would scan the UPC with the, the what app was it? It wasn't lose it. It was one of the other ones. Either way, I was scanning it with the barcode reader in the app and it would pull in the information because it was user generated. Yeah. It, it wasn't like scanning the nutrition label and saying like, oh, let's let's pull in the amount of uh, polyunsaturated fat and put that into the, the machine. <laughs> it was just, you know, user input data. So it wasn't necessarily like I was checking the ingredients and in every single thing usually it was in the system. And while I
1: think you and I don't really care so much about that, we just want to have a really good beer. We have seen that trend changing over and over, episode to episode, article to article. Mm-hmm. The trend towards um, you know healthier, lighter,
0: more uh,
1: clean
0: lifestyle. Well, I, if I you guess will. more health conscious. Yeah, if you're, if you're really, if it really comes down to it. But I think also this is maybe in response to a brand like Michelob Ultra who as a part of their marketing strategy is like this is how many carbs this is that's it like and you're not necessarily thinking about the ingredients you're thinking about the numerical value assigned to the beverage you're about to drink and yep. thinking like ah, i can i i walked to the bar i'm okay to have a 64 you know carbohydrate <laughs> beverage that'll that'll do me yeah and, I mean, to your point there, too, Bud Light isn't the first uh, to
1: print nutritional information. Coors Light, Heineken, and others, they already use labels, but they're smaller and more difficult to find. It is, however, the first to actually print the ingredients, uh,
0: which uh, of which there are four. And I think this is the point at which I respect this whole, like, strategy that they have going for the reason for adding these things, to point out that Big Beer can be made the same way that a craft beer can be made. It is, you know, ingredients, and it's all about the ingredients. It's not about adding additional sugars or caramel colors or anything like that to enhance the color and flavor of the beer itself. The beer kind of speaks for itself, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of what they're trying to do is to— we've all kind of been conditioned to believe that food from these big corporations are made up with uh, chemicals and high fructose corn syrup and all that gross stuff and Bud Light's label just reads water,
0: barley, rice and hops. Sounds good to me. Those are those those are things that are in in a beverage I enjoy very yeah, much. Yes, indeed. And I mean to be honest, it's not something that
1: I would ever I had I, I would never really care so much, but in the changing society I see how this is um This is going to become a little more important, and I think we we everyone can agree that this is it's it's a marketing thing. Let's just make it bigger, and this is something nobody else is doing. Quick, let's do it. And but to that point, it it's also kind of you got to find that line between we're doing this because we know it's going to get a lot of press, and also we like that they're doing this because it's more transparency. So you know, yeah,
0: I, I think also there is a segment of the population that drinks. Big beer like this and does not think about the ingredients. They strictly either think about the brand or they think about how it makes you feel or, you know, it, when it comes down to a consideration of what is actually in your food, that's a big societal shift. I think at least here in the U.S. that is making waves and people are, are kind of thinking about uh, that more and more, even when it comes to things that are considered a vice like beer. That uh, are, are more about like, hey, you know, I do this every now and then it's a social thing. I'm not going to really think too much about what's in there. But I think a brand like Bud Light can change that end mass for casual beer drinkers, social beer drinkers. It'll be interesting to see if this is
1: something that kind of takes off in the big beer world or just kind of sticks to them as a single sort of marketing tactic. Now, going to the
0: complete
1: opposite end of the beer spectrum, our next article comes from the San Francisco Chronicle. Russian River Brewing doubles Pliny the Younger production for the 2019 release. So they double the triple. Is that a. That'd be
0: six then? Not Is a it, triple
1: double, but a, a double triple. A double
0: triple. Yeah. A double. Uh huh. Yep. If there's two youngers, does it make an elder? I don't know. I'm. I, San Francisco Chronicle would probably has mastered that me out. for me. Yeah. I we don't do math on podcasts. No. Now, have you
1: ever had younger?
0: I haven't. This me is, neither. This is one of those like white whale situations where I'm like I've heard so much about it. I have good friends who have stood in line and had 4 to 8 ounces of it and then said, "Get out. You can't have any more." Um it it, it is very much sort of um if if I can say so, like a beer mecca, right? Like mm-hmm. you travel up to Russian River you wait for it to be released you you go and you try it Um, I've had family members who live in the Santa Rosa area who are like oh no I just have this every now and then it's you know when it's available I just I know people who kidding? travel up
1: from SoCal yearly to wait in line and get it multiple times
0: I would still very much love to try it I get that maybe it's all about the hype train for this but the, that train's still going Oh, yeah. It comes to the station every single year, and I see it, and I'm like, hmm, I do want to get on board, but I just don't I just don't I have don't want to wait in line or have to win a raffle. Uh, yes, precisely. Precisely. I do enter those raffles every single year, though. Haven locally uh, has a place in Orange and in – I don't know if their Pasadena location is open anymore, but Haven Gastropub in Orange would, on Instagram every single year, would put out a contest like, jump the line for the Pliny the Younger, and I – I would enter every single gear, and I just wouldn't stand in the regular line. And on that, on that note
1: of the the raffles and kind of that thing, uh, Beachwood Brewing down in um, Long Beach, they actually do a they they sell ticket raffle tickets, and all proceeds, I believe, go to help uh, f- uh fight cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four brewers have been doing they've been They've been that helping that stuff. push every year too. So I saw really that cool. pop up. So it's nice to see people using this as a way to um you know give back as well. But getting into the article here, the Bay Area's most famously elusive beer might be slightly easier to try this year. Keyword, might. Okay. Every February, thousands of people from around the world descend upon Russian River Brewing Company's Santa Rosa Brew Pub to wait in line for a taste of Plenty of the Younger, the cultish 10.25% triple IPA that's brewed for only two weeks a year. The lines often stretch to more than eight Hours long, Uh -uh. with many beer lovers camping overnight. Uh -uh. Heck no. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. When you finally reach the door, the clock starts. You can stay inside for three hours or three glasses of Younger, whichever you hit first. Now, that's a situation where you go, you get one, you enjoy it and then you wait you like hang out have your sack like after your first one you kind of like slow it down and
0: drag it out and then you end up blasting one at the end thinking like "Ah, i get to have three to get that third check in no way (laughs) there's no way i'm crushing a
1: 10.25 triple oh for sure and there are no growlers no bottles no cans you just get it on draft um obviously as we just mentioned it does get loosely distributed throughout um I don't know exactly how far, mostly in California, I would assume, or at least the you know West Coast mm-hmm. in general. But uh, if you're heading up to get it at the source, this is what you're going to have to deal with. For those planning to make the pilgrimage to Sonoma County for the younger release, which is uh, February 1st to the 14th this year, Russian River has good news. They're making a lot more beer this year, 350 barrels worth of keg volume, which is up from 160 last year. Now, that is quite a bit more. The, uh, b- more than double. Yes, it is. And releasing it at two locations, the original downtown Santa Rosa location, plus their brand new state-of-the-art 850,000-square-foot brew pub in Windsor. Which
0: just opened up so far as I know. literally just opened a few months ago. Looks spectacular. The
1: rules will be the same at both brew pubs, which will be three hours or three glasses, whichever comes first. Uh, And when you show up, they stamp your hand to mark your place in line. But the, uh, the Windsor location was actually designed with, younger, with their Younger release in mind, hoping to alleviate some of the discomforts that visitors have endured in the past. For example, a warm, dry bathroom accessible from outdoors, which they'll keep open all night for the campers. They also have two acres of parking and 10 pop-up tents in case it rains. That's incredible.
0: I mean, that's truly a brewery going to lengths to help accommodate Something that they know is going to happen anyway. And like you said, built a particular location kind of around this release that they do for two weeks a year. That's that's just that's some good forethought, I I think, and also speaks to like how much they do care about the folks who are. Waiting in line to, to try this.
1: Yeah, and in addition to having all those, um, coffee carts are actually, they're going to be in the parking lot to compensate for the lack of nearby coffee shops, which are plentiful in downtown Santa Rosa. Got so it. you'll okay. be able to get your caffeine fix while you're waiting, too. <laughs> a quote here from one of the co-owners, Natalie Salerzo. She says, We're very excited that the town of Windsor approved a free shuttle. They really want to participate in the Plenty of the Younger release. The shuttle, which is actually paid for by the town, will be free for residents and visitors alike, and it's going to travel around to the different hotels bringing people in.
0: That is very, very cool. I, boy, what do we need to do to, to make this happen? Trek up to Russian River, grab a tent maybe, camp out, get some caffeine, wait for Pliny. I don't know. It's, hmm, I really want to do it. I don't think I'm at the stage in life where, spending eight plus hours outside of a brewery to try eight ounces of a beverage is in the cards for me. We
1: need a press pass,
0: but <laughs> we do need, we definitely, we need that, that brewery tour, that press pass, um, but more power to the people who want to get out there and do it. That's, that is super awesome. I would love to see some photos, uh, especially of their new location and see how, how this is doing for them. Yeah. And
1: if you do make it up there, then enjoy and, I hope it's super exciting. And, you know, if you are
0: a listener, let us know how it goes. Um, we'd love to hear. You can find show notes for this episode by going to com slash 48. That's where the notes for this episode will be. You can also follow us on social media. We've got a whole bunch of new handles for you uh, on Twitter. You can catch us at twitter.com
1: slash untapped podcast on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash drinking socially. And on Instagram, we are also Drinking Socially. In addition, if you want to join in some conversation, we set up a Facebook group. Uh, It is Drinking Socially as well. So if you search for that, you can find it. It's also linked off of the Drinking Socially Facebook page. Uh, Hop in, let us know what you thought. Give us your feedback, suggestions, anything like that. And um, we're going to try and post a little bit of behind the scenes here and there. So we look forward to seeing everyone around. And of course, if you've
0: got some feedback for the Untapped app, we'd love to hear it. You can do that by going to help.untapped.com or by sending it in through email feedback at untapped.com until next week Cheers. cheers